0: Hey gang, it's Harold and here's another podcast. This podcast is part two of an interview with GMT Games President Gene Billingsley. We'll continue our discussion with the question about which games GMT publishes and when. You know, the other curiosity that people have about uh, that I hear about GMT and uh, once again I think you know we all have varying levels of experience with running a business and uh, the challenges of applying capital and, and, ha- and holding inventory uh, and and so you know a lot a, a lot of it I understand why this happens others don't. but one of the questions I get is why doesn't GMT keep all of their titles? In inventory all the time, and and I think that that links a little bit to your use of P five hundred, which was incredibly innovative, right? I mean, I, I think it's to me it's Kickstarter, plus, right? That others are now copying, right? Because you know you you can sign up for a game, you get it at a discount, and if two weeks before you're charged, you decide you don't want it. Then you canceled. call, and it's canceled, yeah. right? So right. it's, it's it, Kickstarter is so you know this it's so much better than Kickstarter. Um, and and so I, I I'm I I'd like to talk a little bit about how you think about your inventory management, which games you publish, uh, how you use P five hundred, and how all that fits together.
1: Okay, um, well, P five hundred came about um, out of the you know it was the Phoenix born of the ashes of the distributor meltdown of the mid 90s where about half of our distribution partners went under we wrote off about a hundred thousand dollars at a time when i didn't have a hundred thousand dollars you know it was a tough hit to take and it made me determine that although i like distributors and i appreciate guys who carry our product all around the world that having our entire future in the hands of people that looked at us like a commodity that were just like the other commodities um, wasn't where I wanted to be business-wise so but but I didn't know any other options so I started thinking about this I talked to Mark Herman I talked to Tony I talked to Roger and just kind of bounced ideas off all them about what I was thinking about and kind of out of those conversations um, P500 was born but but the core of it was, if I wasn't going to put our business in the hands of distributors, who was I? Who did I trust to put it in the hands of? And my answer became clear as I, the more I thought about it, it's the customers. Because if our customers look at our product and say it's not worth supporting, then that's on us. Then we deserve to fail. But we didn't do anything wrong to lose that $100,000. You know, it was just... It happens, economic cycles, right? You know, but but because our business was so dependent on the people that saw us as commodities, then, you know, we're very fortunate that we didn't go out of business in in that period of time, and it was really only just putting a bunch of personal capital in it that kept that from happening. So, I didn't want that to happen again. Like most of us, we we undergo a painful experience. We don't want to repeat it. So. Creating something that, so if I was going to put the money in the, or the, the, the company in the customer's hands, basically, then I had to figure out how to make that worthwhile for both the company and the customer. And that's how the details of P500 came to light. So, um, you know, not having to pay up front and then wait a year or two for a game to come out. You know, we had one Kickstarter experience, and I absolutely hated it. I did not. Our customers, I don't think, liked it any better. <laughs> you know, it was not a good experience, and I don't want to do another one. I think P500 is way better for for what we do. I'm I'm not going to throw rocks at, at Kickstarter, but for how we run things and putting things in the customers' hands, P500 is better because they get to vote. They look at all these games that are out there from all these design teams, and you know we don't treat it this way internally, but externally it's a competition. And a guy says. I can have 15 things on P500 before my wife says, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> you can't do that. Well, I mean, that's real. Yeah. And so they look at 50 and say, I'm going to have to choose 15. And then here's the five that are also on my list. So when I get five, I can add these five, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how it works. And we do have some guys, bless their heart, everything that goes up there, they order it. They, and, and, you know, those guys are my Christmas list, right? Um, but for most people, it's a bit of a competition. So from the designer side, well, that can be a challenge. That's something I have to manage over there with with designers. But from a customer side, it's beautiful, right? Because you get to choose. And we have enough breadth and variety with designers and systems and types of strategy games that it's not like they have to choose from just a few. So you get a a really broad range of choices. And, And so I think that's a win for the customer. You get a great discount. That's a win for the customer. Uh, you don't. You can cancel, like you said, right up to right. the last minute, and that's a win for the customer. Your time from charge to ship is right now about two to three weeks uh, on a normal game, so that, you know it's not bad. It's it's tough to do it sooner, you know, shorter than that for us, and still take care of those guys whose cards are expired or you know whatever all the all the office things. So I wanted to make that very customer friendly, and then from our side, it's just math at that point. You know, and and Tony does most of this. To, working with Tony Curtis is the best thing. He's really smart. He's really good with money. He's as conservative as I am, and probably more. So, we just don't have those situations where we play cash flow right up to the limit. You know, where we're over leveraged, or whether we're really worried um, about something that's going to happen because Tony plays it safer. And I'm okay with that, because it means 28 years later, we're here. You know, and not everybody could say that. So, but, but it's math, because at that point, it's like, all right, you know, what are our costs that go to the printer? Tony looks at all that, figures out the pricing, and then we figure what's a good P500 discount. It's generally around 30%, sometimes a little more. Um, and then we know, when we charge, this is how much money we're going to have. We can walk to the printers with money in hand and a lot of times not every time but a lot of times we pay for the whole print run out of p500 funds so after that you know it's not like there's no other expenses running an organization like this you have monthly expenses so you have to pay those Um, but tony kind of has it down to a science now and as long as i don't screw up on the marketing side (laughs) And as long as I don't screw up on the manage, the, keep the designers happy side and we've got design teams, you know, flowing with lots of good games, then um, it, it's, I, I started to say it's on automatic pilot. It's really not because it's harder than that. But, but it's really not that hard for me because Tony's, Tony's doing the hard stuff. And then he and I talk every week about allocating cash and, you know, back to, you know, something you alluded to early, you know, why don't we keep every game in stock? Well, it's because of money. Because to keep every game in stock would would cost, you know, $1.5 million right now. That's the answer. And that's $1.5 million that either we don't have. Okay, we don't have. All right. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But, but, or, you know, the other thing is that that we would be unwilling to release from our strategic reserves because that's our cushion because I've never forgotten 1995 and I know that tomorrow some economic downturn could occur that would wipe out half of our distributor organization out there and would make it very difficult for the guys who buy our games to buy at the level they are today so just like you'd budget um, for depending on who you listen to if you listen to a financial advisor they say keep Six months to two years worth of liquid cash as a reserve before you do anything else, right? You're smarter than I am with finance, but you hear that. And so we look at GMT in a similar way that we don't just have money sitting there doing nothing, right? But we save it for a rainy day as well. And so we make judgments all the time. And we say, okay, we have this much money in strategic reserve. We're willing to use half of that to get some games back in stock or to print a bigger print run of a game whose P500 numbers don't seem to deserve it because Andy and I believe it's going to sell really, really well because that happens. You know, a game sells way better than it does on P500. And so we might spend strategic reserves for either of those things. But we never, ever deplete strategic reserves.
0: Right. So you that's know, the, why. The, the other way, I, the way I think about it, right, and, and, and so strategic reserves are critical, and so you need to save those, agreed. But if you had $20 million, um, y- you know, this is a business. And so you have to make a decision of, do I want to invest in games that uh, I'm not going to be able to make a very big print run? My margin going to be depleted because of that. And I'm not going to turn them very fast. Right. Thus, my return on that capital is going to be lower than it is throughout the rest of my business. And so, do I want to do that? Do I want to put it in the stock market? Do I want to buy bonds? Do I any of it? So do I want to buy real estate? Allocation of capital, right? Absolutely. So, so as you look at your priorities, it would seem to me that if there were twenty million dollars laying around, you none of us would, would. If we looked at the math, none of us would invest in keeping those. Low turn games right but but you know that's easier for me to say as a finance guy because you're the games <laughs> are so right? and wh- that hurts people's feelings when you say it,
1: yeah so what's happened with us is um, I, I I'm not as concerned, so I'm concerned about everything, okay, okay, when it comes sure. to having games out of stock, but I'm not as concerned with a game that we know appeals to only a very narrow part of our market um, let me try to pick something uh, or maybe not uh, l- let's say a game on a on a fairly obscure historical topic that's a hex encounter game or an area movement game you know th- these are when, when you say area movement you tend to um, make the number of potential customers a little smaller right when you say hex encounter to people that play different kinds of strategy games, you're going to make that a little bit smaller. So if you took something that had a combination of one of those and a very obscure historical period, and that game sold a print run and it's out, I'm probably thinking it's done, uh, and it's not very high on my priority list to reprint. Right. Now, if it's part of a series, that calculus would be different. You know, I, I would look at that a little differently. The the problem we're having is we're a victim of our own success and that too many of our really well received games are selling out and sometimes simultaneously or or really close. And and so the the cash management um frustration has been that every time we think, Hey, we can do four or five of these, we run out of Twilight Struggle again. When we run out of Twilight Struggle <laughs> We have to go spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars or more, right? To reprint it, and there's no doubt in either Tony or I's mind that that is the highest priority to reprint at that right. point. Because and those of us that love GMT agree that it should be the highest right? priority,
0: right? I mean, I mean,
1: there aren't that many games. There there are no games that we have that are not only our all-time best-selling game, but they continue to be our yearly best-selling <laughs> game. So we're you know we're happy about that, but it causes a problem because if I were going to have You know, if I had $150,000, and, you know, that's that's an amount of money that we deal with a lot. Right. Okay, so that would reprint three games, roughly. Or one reprint of Twilight Struggle. So every time we reprint Twilight Struggle, we lose the opportunity, or at least we delay the opportunity, to reprint three of those other really good games, right? Right. So we keep a list all the time. And you see, you know, we just did this big coin fest where all these coin games are back in stock. And you're probably walking through the warehouse going, it's so nice to see, yes. you know, fire in the lake in stock and right. a distant plane and falling sky, you know, Cuba Libre for the first time in a long time. Well, cash-wise, Tony's done a really great job about building even some extra reserves over the last year. So we're at, usually what's happened in the past, we do something like CoinFest, and it's like we take a deep breath and build cash reserves for another six months, and then we can do something else. Well, in this case, we're jumping right back in, and and part of it was because a guy walked in and said, "Hey, I'll I'll f- underwrite and fund some of this." And every once in a while, that happens, and Tony makes an agreement with them and makes it worth their while, uh, and so we're going to reprint virtually all of the commands and colors, games as well. But what you might have missed in that list is there's also Arden's 44, there's also Paths of Glory Deluxe Edition, SPQR Deluxe Edition, those are coming back in the next you know four or five months as well. And then Combat Commander after that. So the the list doesn't end (laughs) because stuff keeps running out. And, you know, Tony and I have these kind of strategic conversations all the time about, um, you know, because clearly one way to not reprint is to print more games in the first print run, (laughs) right? But now the amount of risk that you take up front is much greater. And you're, in the best case you're allocating strategic funds that are going to sit for a while while you work through the first half of that print run to get to the second half, right? And, and the second half is cheaper. So it does make more sense efficiency-wise to do it, but you basically have dead money for those strategic funds for some of the time to do that. So it's not just as easy as saying, oh, we're just going to print twice as many and accept that risk. So uh, not to belabor this point, but... That's for one game. But our calculus has to be we're doing 20, 25 games a year, and we have 200 solid games out there, and you know, 30 or 40 of them are running out of stock. And so this is a dynamic thing that we have to manage. Right. And it's not easy um, because behind every game is a game designer. And I don't want to make a game designer feel like we're ignoring him with our choices. But sometimes I do. Because it's like, well, you know, why did Twilight struggle go before me? How do you tell a guy in a nice way why Twilight struggle went before him? Yeah. Um, so you know, I'm not that probably sounds like whining. Um, no, it, I'm not it, really. It, it that, does That's the deal.
0: It, it, it doesn't, and and that's the, the uh, I, I think as customers we have to realize this is a business first right. and foremost, and if it's not a healthy business, it's bad for all of us. So um, I, I see I see the challenge and the frustration in your eyes as it relates to responding to what the customers want. You want right. to give the customers what they want. Absolutely. But on the other hand, um, you know, you have to manage this as this a business. and
1: I don't want to give them what they want at the expense of us not being around next year to give them what they want. <laughs> right. You know?
0: Right. No, and I we want these games for 10, 20 years plus. Right. So So no, no doubt. Uh, absolutely agreed. You mentioned Tony. And I think you also mentioned Andy and Mark... And and um, Roger, yes. Yeah, so you mentioned Andy, Mark, and Roger, but it's a unique collection of of people here yeah. that play a number of different roles. That's right. And I, I would love if you'd talk a little bit about how that all how that all fits together.
1: Well, there are three of us that do the day to day management of basically all the aspects of the company, and so that's me and Tony and Mark. Some much we we all do this full time, and that's not to say that everybody else doesn't have big roles, I do, but we do this full time, and then the people here at the office you know are full time so we have five ladies in the front of the office and and a bunch you know who knows I can't even keep track of all the people that we have in the warehouse because uh, we we use a lot of college students in the warehouse and try to give them we try to be really flexible with our hours, guys that are going to community college or whatever, and give them a way to make good money and and not. And be very flexible about schedule with them. Uh, But anyway, uh, so Tony manages cash flow. And he and I kind of share that in a way. I mean, he's in charge of it all the time. I do the banking and signing checks and all that. So clearly we have to talk and and we have to work on that. So we kind of share the budgeting, what's next, strategic conversations Uh, We do that fairly often, and we do it easily. It doesn't take very long. We've worked together for a long time. I hired him initially, you know, a long time ago before we were LLC uh, because he was a great developer. And he had worked at Merrill Lynch, had a lot of background in finance. And I hated keeping track of accounts payable, (laughs) accounts receivable, doing accounting. I mean, I know a bunch of our customers are accountants, and God bless them. That's That's a wonderful profession and a great job. But if I had to do that all the time, I would be the most unhappy guy so imagine how happy i am to have tony tony curtis just dealing with all that and basically you know the the frustration of my week it's not it's a very very small frustration is the office will come over and they will say uh, hey we got 40 checks for you to sign you know so i've got to go take 10 minutes and sign 40 checks for you know what tony's going to pay that day but anytime i catch myself being frustrated i go well Would I have wanted to have to deal with all forty of those invoices and deal with all the? No. So thank God that Tony Curtis is doing all that. Uh, He manages all the LLC piece of it, so you know contracts and stuff like that. And you know, as as you say, we or one of the designers said this morning. You know, Chad he goes, I I don't think I've had a contract since two thousand seven. He goes because I like working with you because you're just if you tell me it'll happen, it happens. So I like that. I like having that reputation with our designers but some guys really want contracts because they've been burned in this industry and I get that. So Tony does all that. And you know, I see him, but I like just not having to deal with that part. It's easier for me to deal with you as a designer and, and as a friend and worry about the creative stuff. If when you say, hey Gene, I got when, how do royalties happen? I can either tell you in brief or just point you to Tony because that's his lane, not mine. It It makes it easier for me to do the creative stuff and work with creative teams. Um, so I'm really glad he does that. And then he handles production, uh, at least a piece of it. I mean, that kind of goes over in a Marx area with art, too. But Tony does all the negotiations with the print companies. Now, he and I talk about this peripherally, you know, and once in a while I say, hey, Tony, I think we need to expand our bandwidth. And usually he's ahead of me when I when I say that he's already thinking about it because he's that, he's that good. Um, and like I say, our conversations are usually short. Uh, we don't disagree a lot because uh, we see the world the same way. But he's way better at that kind of stuff than I am. And he's able to do it with, at least from the outside looking in, without upset. You know, he deals with it. And, you know, they they're all the bad things that can happen. The printers happen. And then Tony deals with it. You know, and I think I would go a little bit crazy. And, and I think back to the early years when I did, like, all those jobs. And I kind of hated life in, in the pieces of the, those jobs when, when I was spent doing those, time, doing those things because I was thinking, I'm not doing game design. I'm not developing this guy's game. I'm not working with team building. So it's just so great to have somebody like Tony that I can just not even worry about that stuff. And we still talk, and I do still want accountability and you know, all those things. But, um, but basically, I could probably not talk to Tony for six months and still know that everything's going just fine so that's what he does That's great, and and more you know because he's a great guy and helps with team building and all that Um, mark simonich is the nicest guy i've ever met honestly in this industry there there are probably some that would tie honestly because they're they're, you know there's a lot of good people but mark is just really good at what he does um he's not a fine artist like roger is you know roger really good fine artist mark's a layout artist mark's a graphics artist But in the job that we want him to do in managing all our art teams, he is very calm. You know, you've worked with Mark. He's very uh, task-oriented, but he's always nice, always just really pleasant to work with. And as Chad told me this morning, he Mark is really, really good. He said he just sent me a list of like 13 things to change, little modifications he suggested for a project that Chad was working on. He goes, when I first started, I probably would have looked at the list. He said, but this time I just made all 13 changes (laughs) because I know that, that, you know, know, and that's the reputation Mark has with our design teams. And so for me to just tell a designer, like I did in the note this week to designers, say, hey, you you know, as as things are ready for the art department, just get with Mark. And expect that, you know, three to nine months after a game goes on P500, you're going to be talking to Mark. And then... If I were a micromanager, if I had to do all that all by myself, I'd have to think about what all those conversations were going to be like. I don't lose any sleep thinking about that. Because I know that Mark absolutely knows what he's doing. And that he's going to treat the designers with the same uh, respect and concern that I would. That if there's a problem that he can't handle, he's going to come to me. So fine, right? Right. right. Um, that he's going to see red flags so i don't have to um and that and that he's going to bring you know he doesn't have to run by me who he brings on the art team he just brings people in and so it's not surprising that charlie kibler's on that team because you know he and mark have worked together for a long time those two guys are so amazing to work with um, but mark's constantly bringing in new guys you know he found chechu for us with look what he did you know terry with terry leads yeah, terry leads amazing rs yeah. newt um uh, It just did a nice, the nice map for, uh, for the Gandhi game, Mm -hmm. uh, and and more, you know, he's, he's got a long list of guys that, that he uses, um, he doesn't think about them. I think in terms of hours, he thinks about them like this guy's skills fit a particular project. And I think he's, you know, judging at least by the designer's response, he's been really good at picking who should do what. So.
0: That's Tony and Mark. Now, as it relates to Mark, yeah, my experience here and from what I've seen from the inside, what little time I've been in the inside, uh, is that <clears throat> GMT is known for having the highest quality, production quality games in wargaming, and that all passes through Mark. That's it does. reflective of his professionalism and his abilities and his uh willingness to select the right people to do those jobs. That's right. And and so, you know, I I heard somebody complain um we were at Consum World a year ago about GMT's says that this is caught up in in uh in art. And 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 they were talking about it was a bot like it was a bottleneck and I had to correct them. This isn't a bottleneck. This is where the quality comes from. So if Mark stops something, you should think Goodness, there's a reason that Mark stopped it. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's absolutely right. Yeah. So, and we trust him to do that. You, you know, t- the quality piece, Tony's part of that too mm-hmm. because Tony thinks about, uh, you know, like when we started going to wood blocks, Tony had to go out and source all those and and then work with Mark to figure out what that's going to look like aesthetically on a board. And all. So, you know, Tony isn't mute certainly, in that discussion. Certainly. But that's the other great thing about Mark is that he works well with teams. Yeah. So when he needs Roger, he brings Roger in. And he needs a different artist, he brings them in. Um, Sometimes, you know, I get notes from Mark once, I don't know, once every few months. And it'll be Mark stepping outside his lane, but in an acceptable way. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, I've been looking at this aspect of our operation, and I think we're screwing it up for this reason, or I I think we could get better for this reason. So I don't always agree with those, because he has a perspective, and I have a perspective, but I 100% all the time read them carefully or listen carefully if we're face-to-face and think about that perspective, and many times it's made us better. So, you know, I think in a lot of organizations you wouldn't see that. Somebody who felt the freedom to step outside their lane and say, yeah, we should maybe pay more attention to this, and here's how I think we could do it. So I think it just makes us better. Agreed. So Tony Mark. You know the other guys that are doing this full time, um, they take so much off of me. And in the case of the art, you know, I never could do any of that. My art's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't draw straight stickman. So
0: I agree. So I agree. Your art yeah, You see my art. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> so, i so, um, so I also like to talk a little bit about Andy.
1: Um, yeah, because so, and I don't, I don't want to not talk about Andy and Roger either, just because right. they don't do this full time. They're still part of the company. So, we'll start with Andy. Um, Andy came on board when we needed a developer for the American Revolution series. So, that's 20 years ago. And we hit it off right away. He's I just I consider Andy a really good friend. And I've been at his house. He's been at my house. Um, he's another guy when we have a conversation about something we might disagree, but it doesn't really take very long to come to consensus um both Both of us have a good sense of what customers want because we listen to them. Andy is more tuned in to the uh, i don't know how to to characterize but the non hexen counter war games i mean he 's a war gamer and he loves those kind of games but He's probably more tuned in to the Eurogames strategy games side, in terms of constant exposure than the rest of us are. So that's really helpful. He and I are kind of the gatekeepers of, you know, if, if somebody has a new design, they bring it to one of us. And we've kind of divided it geographically, he's in Delaware, I'm in California. He goes to all the East Coast shows, so basically he sees the new games that are coming from the East Coast
0: designers. He has. He hosts an equivalent of Weekend at the Warehouse yeah. with, with no warehouse.
1: You know, He always bemoans that he doesn't get the warehouse, and I tell him, you know, <laughs> tough. <Yeah. laughs> have it here. Yeah, or find <laughs> no, one. Yeah. Th- that's the thing. You know, We have a kind of relationship that we give each other grief, and it's okay. Um, he does a great job with those shows, and everybody who talks to him at those shows could sit here on, on this mic and just say, how easy it is to work with Andy Lewis because he will tell you what he doesn't like about a game or what he thinks could be better about a game. And he has a knack to be able to cut right to the heart of the issues. It doesn't take him a lot of wax to get, you know, where you need to get to, to clean up a game. Right. So he'll, he'll often tell somebody, Hey, this game isn't ready for us yet, but I'm happy to help you get it ready. And I think that's a really, really great trait to have and, and somebody I really love having on the team. You know, Andy's in Delaware, 3,000 miles away. I totally trust him with all of our customers. He, he goes and reps us at shows on the East Coast, basically does it as a one-man band a lot of the time. Um, you know, president of WBC. So, so Andy's very well-respected in the game world, inside and outside of GMT. So he's somebody I'm really happy uh, is on our team. And he's mostly responsible for those, <coughs> sorry, my voice is going, those East Coast conventions, and then um, what we take and what we don't, and in some cases assigning developers uh, for designers that are having trouble finding a developer that fits with them. So he helps us a ton. And the last guy in, in the five who are principals is Roger. And Roger is less involved today than he is you know was probably in the earlier. He's kind of doing his own thing with C3I and all that, and that's fine because it's it's um, it's not the same lane, but it still supports the stuff that we do at GMT. He does a lot of our box art uh, when Mark wants something from you know Mark kind of says, "Who gets what?" Sometimes designers say, "I want a Roger McGowan uh piece of art." Every once in a while I say, I don't want a Roger McGowan piece of art. So that's that's on Mark. He decides that. But Roger does a lot of art for us. He does most of the box layouts, you know, like the box backs that you see, those nice layouts. That's, that's Roger. He comes up with the logos for almost all the games. So these are valuable things. Um, but the thing about Roger, you know, when I when I think about his contributions to GMT, I think about him in the totality of the 28 years. He's not as involved right now. But I think those early years when I didn't know that, I mean, I didn't grow up in this industry. I grew up as a player, uh, you know, but I, I wasn't one of the the SPI design crew. I wasn't in with GDW or Avalon Hill or any of those people. And Roger, you know, he's a million years older than me. Um, which, if he <laughs> were sitting here, I would be giving him a hard time. Um, he knew those guys from the '70s, and so when we were doing our first few games, not only was he helping by doing art, but he was doing things like, "Hey, Gene, here's a list of people to send free games to," you know, and and really helped me get introduced. To people in the hobby, some of which were my friends to this day, um, so he had a lot of industry connections that were really helpful. He had a viewpoint about how the industry worked that was helpful to me as I was trying to assimilate everything I could about you know how to learn about this industry you You probably went through a similar thing as you came in, but as a designer, you know right. trying to learn how the industry worked, well, that was my life for the first few years, just trying to get my bearings. So Roger was incredibly helpful
0: uh in in that period especially. Great. Well, it, the result is fantastic so. It's an interesting uh it's an interesting group of people. Now, well,
1: you know, we're not sure how it's going to turn out this whole GMT thing, <laughs> but 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 so far I think we're good for another year.
0: <laughs> now, Gene, you're you, you you're the games are you run GMT and you make a lot of decisions that impact the games that we all play. But you're also a designer and um, well-known designer, an accomplished designer. And uh, I'd love to talk about Mr. President, if you're willing to. Sure. And um, your thought process behind it. It's it's an interesting concept. And as we discussed over breakfast, um, you know, could be marred with political viewpoints, etc. Yeah. Um, but that's not your, that's not your intent. And right. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on Mr. President, where, where it came from and how you decided to.
1: So Mr. President is one of those games. There really only been two in my life that I've just kind of always wanted to do since I can remember. I really wanted to do Hornet Leader. And I spent a bunch of time on aircraft carriers and with F-18 pilots here 10 miles from us for a long time before I went to Dan with, here's what we're going to do. You know, here's how we're going to create Hornet Leader. And so that was definitely a passion that came to fruition and with, with, you know, thanks to a lot of skillful design uh, from Dan. The other one that I've always wanted to do but I couldn't figure out how to do for the longest time because I thought it would just be a monster, is what would it be like to be the president? And I'd never seen a game like it in our industry. And so that appealed to me. I I didn't start there. You know, I didn't create this game because nobody had done one. It just, it also appeals to me that I haven't ever seen a game like this. But I wanted something that wouldn't be an election game because we have those that wouldn't be partisan because we got enough of that in our country but something that would be a resource management game my favorite games are resource management games where the resources were your time and energy and skill and and you know country resources that you had to bring to bear what what makes it so interesting to me is my view of the presidency and and I'm willing to be wrong about this, but for this game I get to I get to say how it's gonna be, right? Yeah. Yeah. My my view of the presidency is this is the most powerful position in the world. But that power pales in the face of the number and the magnitude of the challenges in a dynamic, ever changing world. So, yeah, you're and you hear presidents talk about this. They go, wow, I didn't realize that even though I had so much power, I really didn't have that much ability to impact things. And so you're playing this game, and you're trying to use these resources that you have at hand to manage chaos, you know, just absolute chaos in the world. And you have allies that help you. That's another resource. You know, you have the military. You have diplomacy. You have these tools that you can use. But even in the United States, where you have more control, probably, than you would anywhere else, the results of your efforts are iffy, because there's an electorate that probably at best, 60% of them supports you, you know? So you got 60-40 mandate at best, and it might be 51-49, or, you know, some of ours have been 43-40 and, you know, 17 or something. So... It's not so cut and dry just to say I put in one and I get out of two. You know, you have to you have to assess in, in this game. You know, the world is changing. We created kind of a, a world simulator as as part of it. So the world is changing all around you. No game is ever going to remotely look the same. And you have to assess those changes and those threats, and then say what resources do I have to allocate, and then you allocate them. And sometimes that helps. And sometimes it just doesn't. (laughs) And in a way, that's kind of frustrating to gamers if you play the kind of games where when you do something, a result always happens. You know, something good always happens. Well, I think I could do that in this game, but it wouldn't have any fidelity to the way it really works. So, of course, I'm trying to straddle the fence between good, fun, playable game and some fidelity to the real world. It's not going to be perfect on either of those fronts because of the of the compromises you have to make. But I didn't want a game where you do X and Y always happens. So a lot of the stuff that you do in that game, you have to roll a die for, or or you have to draw a card or whatever. You know, there There's some unexpected result. There are things that I... And I basically, I don't like extra die rolling in games. And so this is like the worst design from that point of view because that's the way that we show randomness. With 180 cards... Already in the game, I didn't want a card deck like with Fields of Fire. Say to to uh, d- do all the random stuff. Um, I, I just thought that'd be a bridge too far. So there's die rolling. And the good part of that is it lets me blame the dice because I'm I'm not a bad president. You know I, I just rolled poorly. Um, but it lets me see that actions have a- uncertain outcomes. And it also has let me weight it because it's not a totally random game. It's everything that's random is weighted randomness. And, and admittedly, the weighted randomness is my assessment of you know, that, that it's easier to manage what happens in the US Congress, for example, from a president's point of view, although I, I don't know if this year might've made us think, rethink that, <laughs> um, than it is to manage what's happening in Pakistan. So weighted randomness. You know, you, you can make actions in Central South Asia that are probably going to be less likely to have what you'd perceive to be a positive result than something you do on the domestic front. So the game's about that, how to manage chaos. And I like it because it immerses you in a story, and the story's different every time. That, that's really what I want to do. I want to create a game where, you know, the first couple versions of this, that's basically all it was. It immersed you in a story, and I hadn't figured out how to do the the what, how you act yet.
0: And so it was just like you're
1: drawing cards and the story's happening. And I was, you know, the other people were going, hey, it's just a story right now. And I was like, that's okay, I'm going to get to the other part, but I got to make sure the world simulator works, you know? And so I was like, hey, this is really fun. I'm just kind of along for the ride in the story. And I even I posted some things on Inside GMT, and people would write back, and they'd be like, well, it doesn't sound like you really do anything. <laughs> you know? And I was thinking, well, you really don't quite yet. You will. <laughs> and now you do. Right. Now, now there's tons of stuff that you do. right? Um, but you have to choose which ones you're going to do. You never have enough resources. So do I want to go have a summit with the Russians to try to solve a bunch of problems? Do I want to give money to a certain uh, region to try to solve the problems? Do I want to go to the U.N. and let them try to solve the problems? Or do I want to say, the heck with the Middle East. I'm never going to fix it, so let me just try to manage it. Right. You know, th- those, I think, are real-world meta-narratives that, that are going on in the White House or, or should be going on in a White House. Right. That they're going, do we manage there? Are we aggressive there? Can we use our allies? Can we use the UN? You know what? What are the, what are the pressures or the tools we can bring to bear, to come to a better end, and, and in the world of Mr. President, it's generally more stability. How to have the world be more stable? Right. And and, and I guess that's part of that is just Jean's view of, that's what we should be doing. You should be trying to protect your citizens as the President of the United States, defend the Constitution, and try to keep the world from blowing up as much as you can. And I think that's a fair assessment of, of our involvement in the world post-World War II.
0: Looking forward to playing it. You've got it set up here, at Yes. At the warehouse. And um, it, there's always, it's always you and a group hovering around it. So at some point I want to I don't know if I'm going to have to sneak in here at midnight or what it is, but at some point I'm going to come in and, and mess with it.
1: I'm going so. to have to – I'll make some special rules for you so you can win, okay? Because uh, you don't have a prayer win in that game.
0: Yeah, that's it. The challenge with resource management games is that it's no, it, it's not a challenge unless there's a limit to the resources. So right. if you just slip me some more resources, I think it'll be
1: – Yeah. And we, right we continue there. to do that in testing, actually. Right. We, we, because you run in and you go, wait, there's just not enough. Right. And you're looking for that fine line where you don't want somebody to feel like they're resource flush all the time. Right. But you also don't want them, unrealistically, to be playing through the last third of a year with no resources. Right. Um, because that doesn't work either. I agree. So how to get Agreed. to there is that's development.
0: So I'd like to make the transition to a couple of informal questions. All right. If that's okay. Um, what... What have you been watching TV, movie-wise, that's of interest? And even if it's not of interest, if it's Real Housewives of Orange County, I think we'd like to hear that.
1: <laughs> well, new season of Survivor's on. Rachel loves Survivor. She, she got done, me hooked Your daughter, few years to Rachel, ago. heavily yes. involved
0: in the business, yes.
1: She loves Survivor, and I never watched it. And a few years ago, she said, Dad, this is such a great social experiment. Of interaction of people, how people interact in a stressful environment, and so you know part of it's show business and and all that but i I so that's something we do together we we watch and talk about right. uh, survivor, which i I know that's not a it's not a, not a high level thing, but it's it's fun for us and you know honestly I, I think you've experienced this with your kids when you have kids, I think if you're any kind of a parent then you become interested in the things that they're interested in so that you can spend time with them, so you can connect with them. And so I'm still that way. My kids are all, you know, they're 28, 26, and 22. Uh, so they're grown in a way. I'll never stop being their dad. Uh, the, the things that they want to do, uh, I want to do. My wife and I climb walls now. We do bouldering and we do climbing. And mostly because Luke loves it. Right. and he's found that and it turns out it's it's good exercise it's good for us in the gym so you know that, that's how i came to survivor right um new this time of year mary and i always look at new shows just you know tv shows we're we're, we're not really um the high-minded you know just just we're gonna watch something on tv that's gonna really lift us to the the next level of being a right. person you know or right. whatever right. We're just we're looking for which something be that's, an ironic view
0: about tv right? anyway yeah right?
1: we're looking for things that are interesting so i like military stuff so of course i'm glad that seal team's back on again because right. you know that's that's something i would like i was sad that they canceled the other two military shows that i watched last year which were what um one of them was about the helicopter pilot which that was a little drama mm. but it was kind of cool and, right. and anything where you know counterinsurgency forces are going somewhere else it's interesting to me so the other one was also about SEALs Um, but it's gone now so I'm left with one you know SEAL team Um, I like Madam Secretary Mm -hmm. I don't always agree with the political view or whatever but I think it's a pretty darn good look right and and uh, And there's
0: our sequel to Mr. President
1: well who knows (laughs) who knows <laughs> i think it's well done and i think it's cool At hawkeye you know rory a uh, guy that we've known and and love for a long time as a player is a um one of their experts right on on that show i think it's really cool uh, right of you know, gaming and and tv so i always watch that and and like it because it's timely it's always talking about world events i can't figure out why it won't name russia and the and the real head guy you know they've always got some name for some place that's not real and um but but I think the the kind of challenges they show there are, are pretty w- real
0: world challenges right what about um what do you listen to when you're in the in your car or truck driving to or from work or on a trip what do you like to listen to
1: i i listen mostly to christian radio to songs um it relaxes me and it's When I'm in my car, it helps me remember that I'm not all that. You know, the running to and fro, solving problems all day, which is one way to describe my job. (laughs) uh, A thing that can happen is you can start seeing yourself as the problem solver. And you and I think, I think we talked last night, you know, when you get sick Mm-hmm. or something happens it really sober's you and you realize it humanizes you right yes. yeah and so that's a time for me when i i listen to songs that talk about a creator and you know i'm not going to bother all our listeners with with that but for me it gets it, it helps me think that, remember that things are bigger than me that people matter right that how you treat people matters uh and, and it just kind of calms me and soothes me and reminds me that there's a place for me in this world, but it's not at the top where, where everybody right. says, look at, look at me.
0: It, it grounds you. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And of course, um, you know, the fixer is of course the other sequel to Mr. Yeah. President. So, so we're, we've got, already got to follow do that.
1: <laughs> you know, this is going to sound really crazy and, and probably I shouldn't even put this in here cause everybody's going to laugh at me now, but about a year and a half ago, I guess maybe when the kids left, when, when Luke finally left, um, Mary and I, we started just talking about the things we are going to do. You know, our friends were all worried. They're like, oh, are you guys going to be empty nesters? We're like, look, you know, we have we didn't have kids till after we were married for seven and a half years. We've learned how to have fun together and go do things. And so we've had zero issues on that front. But at night, we come home, we're both tired. And believe it or not, most of the times we watch TV. So what do we want to watch? Well, we don't like the lots of violence, lots of, you, you know... I don't get mad at people that use bad language, but I don't really want to hear it on the screen, just like every five seconds. Right, and just the anger, the, uh, those kind of shows, the angry shows, uh, they don't do it for us. And so Mary said, "I want to watch, uh, I want to watch some of these Hallmark shows that are, you know, we watched that Good show, and and you know, then some of the movies. And I always thought, man, Hallmark movies are so corny, and I got to say, I still think that a little bit. But you know, hopefully, Mary won't hear this. Um." But we watch those because they're full of hope. Right? They're full of goodness. They're really relaxing. And I can sit there. You've seen our dual recliners. Yes. You know, I can sit there and we hold hands and, and eat popcorn or whatever we want to do and just get caught up in a story, just like you can ca- get caught up in the story in a game that's full of hope and and people trying to be helpful to other people in this world. I think that's what I want to be about. You know, people get all spun up about the politics in the country, and I agree. We got to learn how to listen to each other better. But what I tell my kids is most of that stuff that happens in Washington, you can't really have any impact on. You can spin yourself up, you can ruin your day, you can, you know, be mad at your neighbor over, but you can't really do much about it. But there's people in your family and your orbit and your community that you can still go help you can be a good neighbor and a good friend you can look at people who don't have what you have and go help them and the state of government the state of what washington's like really has nothing to do with that so i guess i like the stuff that we watch together when we when we do we don't watch those all the time but we do watch hallmark shows once in a while it just reminds me that community is important and what you do for other people matters, and I don't know about you, but I need that
0: reinforcement once in a while sure, sure, absolutely and 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 you know, I also agree with the point that anything you find yourself doing with uh, that you can share with your wife or your kids is is golden yeah and absolutely uh, you know especially the things that I could find where I would watch something with my kids and then talk about it afterwards absolutely and it right. doesn't matter what it is it is uh, it is golden, so books. Um curious about what sort of things you read and you're reading now, and does it all relate to history? Do you have any other interests in that regard?
1: So I've read a lot of books in preparation for Mr. President, and I'm not going to list them because there's too many, honestly.
0: But there'll be a bibliography.
1: Yeah. Um I still, you know, when, when we did the new version of Silver Bayonet, I went back and reread um, Play Coup by, by Coleman and read We Were Soldiers, although that's, that's not really so much good research for that game. It's still a great story. How mm-hmm. more in my mind, is a great American, and, and all the people that sacrificed there are just amazing. I, I love reading books about that um, that educate me and kind of make me cry at the same time. you you know what I mean Mm -hmm. these stories of sacrifice they're real people and real families don't have dads and brothers and uncles you know now because of that and so that makes me really sad Um, but I'm thankful that there are people like that in terms of other non-fiction books I read business books I read investment books. I still try to read Benjamin Graham once every year or two. The father of value investing. Because he was so smart about how to look at companies. Um, I, I agree with Warren Buffett. He, I'm sure he'll be really happy to know that I agree with him. <laughs> he was asking. Um, yeah. yeah um, that I'm a better businessman because I'm an investor. And I'm a better investor because I'm a businessman. Right. They they go together. Um and they help me in both areas. So I continue to try to educate myself about business. I don't have an MBA. Sometimes I feel like I probably do. <laughs> you know, in terms of you don't need one, how yeah. the world works, but but I want to stay. I, I've learned that people call us innovators in our industry. Sometimes I've learned that innovation doesn't really come when you look inside your industry, but it can come in amazing ways when you look outside your industry and see how people in other industries solved a similar problem. But because there's so much groupthink inside industries and they tend to do things the same way over and over again, you're never going to get inspired or really have a lot of innovation if you just stay inside your industry. So I read books that take me outside my industry and I want to know what these guys at Netflix are all about, you know, and and, and how Google has learned, and, and what the Japanese management strategies are. And You know, I, I try to expose myself to reading like that, um, to continue to think about our model and the challenges that we have here, and how we might be able to adapt what other people have learned, or the newest thing, you know, sometimes, or technology, uh, to help us be more efficient and do a better job here. And then I read for fun. Um, fiction anything though he's gone now any of the tom clancy books i'll still read because i'm addicted to jack ryan who who is the greatest mr president ever right that's a a spoiler in there somewhere if you haven't read all the books but um and his son they did a really good job of creating a world for his son you know that kind of intersects that world and so i read those i read Um, Mitch Rapp books. You know the the old uh, who's a CIA. You know again counterinsurgency books that are about the war on terrorism, such as it is. Uh, Books that are about um, how our intelligence how our intelligence agencies work, or might even in a fictional realm. Right? How? the political military intelligence triumvirate works together to try to solve problems and so just like historical fiction sometimes reading contemporary fiction can help you think about those things in a way that puts people into the equation right and and helps me understand things Uh, when I read from authors who mostly are are tied in on the inside with with technical support from guys who work in those industries or in 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 those positions so i enjoy reading those yeah that's good stuff and one of the best writers um i'm forgetting all the writers right now but gabriel alon an israeli spy who's a restorer of renaissance paintings (laughs) has got to be one of the coolest characters ever created and so daniel silva is the guy who created this whole series of, I don't know, probably 15 now, books about an Israeli spy who's an assassin. <laughs> right. um, I like them. Right. They're, again, different perspective for me. I don't know what it's like, the viewpoint of Israel. Um, I, I have a sense of it because they're not shy about what they say about it. Right. But as I crafted Mr. President, I also had to think about, yeah, the game is what the U.S. president thinks about the world. But I tried to have some fidelity to how our allies look at the world, how Russia and China look at the world. There's an AI for Russia and China. You know, there's a small AI for our allies. So that they do things in and out of your control that Interesting. often frustrate you. Right. So to do that, I want a perspective. So even in reading fiction, I try to get perspective to think about, um, to, to get outside the box of just how an American thinks about the world.
0: I also like to ask about what you've been playing, but I will tell you when I came in to your house last night. You were nice enough to put me up for the con or, or for the meeting. I, I saw the dining room table was first of all the the, the first production copy of Space Corp, which right. looks fantastic. Yeah, and we flipped through time. that, but more importantly, it's what you've been playing is you've been playing Pandemic Legacy. So, yeah, what, what do you think about that?
1: So I got yelled at on Twitter for. Posting a picture of it because they said I I posted a spoiler, so I guess I did that wrong. Oops. Uh, so I want to be careful what I what I say because we, we it, both need to be careful. It, it is learning. one of yeah. those games that evolves. Yeah. Um, I got we we have dinner with our daughters every Thursday night, and we cook together, usually something we haven't cooked before. Sometimes our favorite thing, just because we want to indulge. Um, but that's our time. You know, we cook together, we catch up on the week, and then we play a game. Um, we used to talk about the world for a couple hours, but we all got so frustrated talking about the world. We were just like, okay, let's – we still do talk about the world a little bit, but um, let's talk about a game. And also talking about the world started getting too close to work for me because, for, Mr. President, I know it's not the world, but it's still everything I think about. Sure. Um, so I wanted something different. So I looked around, and I, I saw you – know, we played Pandemic for a long time, and we like it. And I heard about Pandemic Legacy. The first year I heard about it, I was mad at it because it took over first place from Twilight Struggle. So I just, you know, boycotted it just on general principles, right? Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> uh, I, you know how it is. I, sometimes you just don't get a chance to get to a game. Right. So I hadn't. Uh, and now what are we, three years out from it being released? And so I, I asked the kids, I said, hey, what do you guys think about if I got Pandemic Legacy? And we just kind of all worked through that together. So none of us knew what to expect. And I'm not going to spoil it for anybody else. Right. Um, but it has been really fun. You play it in months. So ideally, you've got to win through 12 months. And the, the challenges that are, occur, although the basic play mechanics are the same as Pandemic, so you already know how to play a, a, a lot of it, it goes way outside of what Pandemic did. Right. And so, but it does so in a way... That at least so far, we're in April, it's, it's not too much. You know, we can still handle it. And it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make us suspend our disbelief. You, know, it, it's still, you, you still believe the story. You're still immersed in the story. Mm-hmm. But every month we're just on pins and needles going, what's going to happen this month? Because you get new resources and new things happen. But, but you, get, you thought, hey, this is, my, this is my grab bag of resources, and all of a sudden you got more and it's cool yeah. cuz you got new things. Uh but then the bad side is the world has changed in unexpected ways that you have to react to those challenges. So the big thing for us is we get to do it all together. It's cooperative still. You know, it it's a completely cooperative game. So we're on the same side. You have to you have to act fast. And so there's a lot of quick strategizing over the table going okay, you know many times we've said we have to win right now or we're going to lose <laughs> Right. You know, so, right. <laughs> that, yeah. if you play pandemic, you know, um, and, and legacy even more so. That's great. And so to do that group strategizing where everybody's in, you know, and everybody's respected around the table. Right. And nobody's voice is too small. That's great. I, I love that. And so Mike just showed me this 25 pound game he has out here. Gloomhaven. Yeah, yeah, Gloomhaven. He goes, when you finish pandemic legacy, you've got to play this. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even carry that. <laughs> So, but for right now, that's that's a, been a really fun experience for our Thursday nights. Yeah, very cool. Although I'll try not to post any more pictures.
0: Well, it's interesting, you know, given given what you do, and and you often tell me I can't play these games because I have to work on so many at the same time. It's, yeah. uh it was good to see that there was a there was a game in your in your dining room that uh, that many of us have played and enjoyed. So, at, at this point, I, I want to say thanks for a lot of things. Um, <laughs> So thanks for um, being patient with me through the development of Liberty or Death. And, and uh, it would never have happened if you hadn't decided to run with me. And I appreciate that. You're welcome. I also appreciate your support of the San Diego Historical Games Convention, which GMT has been the the primary sponsor uh, for this. It will be four years, I guess. And uh, thank you again. It just, you, you you guys make it happen and make it possible and make it Possible for us to keep uh, keep going and keep the fees low and, and and a lot of interesting people there and and thank you again so much for that and thanks for coming Comical. and 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 doing your thing there. It's, I think that, you're doing
1: a really good thing there and I, I think it's a unique show and I'm happy to support it. Uh, I'm I'm kind of trying to figure out how not to have to go and demo, Mr. President, like forever now <laughs> at that show and like play something else, right. but right. Um, I, I think. The the last time we went, uh, I took Mary as you know, because we'd love to. It's a lot more fun to go places together. Right. And you know I hate that drive, right, because a six-hour drive has turned into a nine-hour drive a couple times just because of crazy traffic. Because of L.A. All you people that live, like, south in L.A., God bless you because there's beaches and all that wonderful stuff, but the traffic is (laughs) insane. And so I didn't want to drive to San Diego anymore. San Diego, historically for our family, that's where we go. We like it. We we love it. Right. Um, if I could just sell, you know, like a million more Twilight Circle, I could probably live there. <laughs> Maybe not. That might not be enough. But <laughs> so we flew last time, and it turned out that Alaska Airlines, which by the way is my favorite airline in the world, they're awesome. Um, Seriously, cons- I can't say that. On t- I-, I can't say I'm consider- seriously considering investing in them, can I? Right. You could. E- except my, my gut you says could. never invest in an airline. You're not a registered um, advisor. You right, can say yeah, whatever you I- want. I can say whatever yeah, I, yeah. I want. Okay. But Alaska Airlines, at least for us, it's been a great experience. Whether we flew to Hawaii or Seattle or you know wherever we go, well, they've got a direct Fresno to San Diego flight now. And it's cheap. And it's an hour and 10 minutes. And so. You know you know Mary. She's very she's quiet. She's not she she doesn't really say she, she doesn't demand the world bend to her at right. all.
0: Right, she's flexible.
1: So we get off the airplane the last time and as we're getting off the airplane, she said that was great. <laughs> she said we're doing it this way from now on. And I was like, "Yes, ma'am." Right. <laughs> you know? right. Okay. So that that's we're we're going to have. We're going to do a family vacation in uh, San Diego in in March. Good, and we'll good, do good. it that way. we hopefully we'll we'll uh, be able to connect. Yeah, because I appreciate your family. Your family's terrific oh,
0: yeah. and. Everybody's been so good to me. Um, and
1: Fortunately, they all turned out more like Mary. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say well, that. Well, the <laughs>
0: truth is truth. This is the truth. But, but, Gene, thanks for taking the time to, to share this. Uh, people sure. will be so interested. And, and I think... I'm still unsure sure for, about that. Thanks, <laughs> well, we'll see, right? Well, there's a ticker, and we'll, we'll learn. Yeah. But I think it's also uh, thanks for for allowing me to record some of the conversations you've had this morning. Sure. Uh, including our breakfast conversation. We'll see if any. Yeah, happens. that was a little crazy. but <laughs> Yeah, that's, what, that's a little odd. But uh, but I know that's odd and it's hard, but it will be uh, I think it will be interesting to people. So thanks again for taking the time. Uh, sure. So much appreciate everything you do for us.
1: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you doing this. I I think it's a good thing for the hobby. Thanks. I've heard said
0: So that's a wrap for this two-part podcast. Thanks for listening. I would greatly appreciate it if you could post a review on iTunes. I'll publish some notes and references on my website, ConflictSimulations.com. Join the Herald on Games Guild on BoardGameGeek and leave me a comment with your thoughts and ideas. Thanks to the Lexington, Kentucky artist, Justin Wells, for the intro and outro music, Check him out on Facebook, Spotify, and iTunes. I'll close with a special thanks to Gene and the crew at GMT Games. And that's it for me. As always, I can be bribed with scrambled eggs, and I'll be back soon. I'd have some more to give than words are right. There was God's intention to make me better. I'd have some more to give than words are right.